Everybody here winding down on Purim for 2023. What a great time to hear from the the Godolim, the, the, the great thinkers of our modern age uh, destiny here, talking with Richard Spencer. This video was released yesterday on the No Jumper channel. None of that is meaningful. Like, the, the big screen TV is meaningful. It is meaningless. They don't actually want it. What they want is meaning and direction in their lives. It's not just about not having something to complain about. Like, we're not being invaded by Russia right now. We're invaded by Russia, even the blue-haired feminists. So, Richard thinks that uh, number one problem in our country for your average American right now is a lack of meaning in their life. So, seriously... If you talk to the average American, okay, the average American has an IQ of about 97, and you asked him, what's the number one issue facing you? What percentage of them would say meaning? We, we lack a grand narrative, right? I would say fewer than 1% of these average Americans would say, oh, it's a lack of meaning. We just lack a grand narrative. Like, how the heck are we going to, you know, fill the gaping void left by the death of God? Right? This is not how normal people speak. This is not even how 105 IQ people speak or 110 IQ people. They, they don't speak this way. Right? To speak this way, you have to have an IQ north of, of 120, meaning to be, you'd have to be smart enough to be a doctor or a lawyer. So Richard is taking his own angst and projecting it onto America. Like, strap Absolutely. on a gun and be ass-kicking. <laughs> Look at 9-11, bro. Yeah. 98% of the country was ready to go to war with whatever fucking country in the world you threw a dart at. Bro, you tell me Nigerians were the ones that fucking blew, uh, yeah, you know, planes of the World Trade Center? I think 98% of America, let's go to war with them right now. Yeah, I, sure. I, experienced, I, I was actually in New York City in 9-11, believe it or not. I experienced this with, you know, this is 23 years ago. It was liberal types who I would talk to, and I would almost kind of gently talk to them because I was afraid that they were going to tell me about, like, the history of the Crusades and, you know, racism <laughs> against Arabs. And they were like, oh, yeah, we need to go to war right now. Bush was on, um, Jesus, like, it's funny because we made fun of, like, uh, Muslims and shit, and Imam saying, you know, holy war and jihad and all this shit. And I think I want to say Bush was on camera saying, like, I prayed, and he and God told me that we need to go to war with Iraq. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. But, but back then we were ready for if it. If that would have happened right now, if we had another 9 11, do you think the country's so polarized that there, we would never get anywhere close to that like 98% agreement on going to war? Yes. Yeah. I think I, I think it, it kind of is over. And and I, I this is a really big subject that I'm glad we're we're talking about. But I mean, I was very enthused about the new Cold War that has arisen. And that, that might sound cynical or sadistic or something. It's not. Because it does you know, when you have the unipolar world, globalism, you don't know who's who and who's what or where we are, who's the enemy. It's, it's murky and kind of weird. Now we're kind of returning to something that we're used to and something that we fought and won previously, a Cold War, a division between a Russian or kind of Soviet blank society. Uh, perhaps China's involved. We'll, you know, we'll figure that out. It's kind of here and there at the moment. Okay, so for, for what percentage of Americans do you think this uh, Ukraine conflict is a dominant issue in their life? say, a top three issue in their life, I would say fewer than 1% of Americans are experiencing what Richard is talking about here. But it gives people some stability and meaning. You, you need... You, you... So Richard is saying that uh, the, the war in Ukraine is giving a lot of Americans stability and meaning. All right. So what percentage of Americans do you believe are receiving substantial stability and meaning from the war in Ukraine. I'm going to venture far fewer than 1%. So I don't know where Rich is coming from, but it's certainly not from planet reality. It certainly has nothing to do with, with planet Earth. Uh, maybe 0.1% maybe of Americans right now are receiving substantial amounts of stability and meaning from the conflict in Ukraine. I mean, seriously, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me, do you think 5%, 10%? I mean, anything above 10%, absolutely absurd. I, I can't even imagine that 1% of Americans are experiencing serious levels of stability and meaning from the war in Ukraine. That's absurd. Have you encountered, do you know anyone who is receiving substantial amounts of stability and meaning from the war in Ukraine. Right, stability and meaning should come from your family. And if you can't get it really from your family, then it should come from your extended family and your friends. And then if you can't, that's not enough, then from your community, from your religion, 
from your interests, from your career, from your education, from your from your hobbies, right? What kind of person needs a war in Ukraine to provide them with stability and meaning? Only a total psycho gets substantial amounts of stability and meaning from the war in Ukraine. There's nothing inherently transcendent about the battle in Ukraine. Russia is doing what great powers have always done. What do great powers do, right? Great powers take what they want. And what do weak people and weak communities do? They endure what they must. Right? This has been true for thousands upon thousands of years. Right? The United States has the Monroe Doctrine, where we tell Europe, hey, boy, don't, don't interfere in the Americas. This is our backyard. We will not permit Europe or any other extraneous power from establishing a beach hold in, in the Americas. This is our backyard. Well, guess what? Ukraine is Russia's backyard. So if the Monroe Doctrine is good for the United States, all right, it is also good for Russia and for China. This is how great powers operate, right? If you make them feel unsafe, so the more arms, the more training, the more support we gave Ukraine, the more that then threatened Russia. Right? Russia would not have invaded Ukraine if Donald Trump had been president. But because Joe Biden amped up support and training for Ukraine, right, it threatened Russia and we have a war. But seriously, do you know anyone who's getting serious amounts of stability and meaning from the war in Ukraine? Now, I... I have, I think, a way above average need for meaning. Why the hell do I have an above average need for meaning? Because I don't have my own family, right? I've never been married. I've never sustained a romantic relationship longer than a year. I don't have children, all right? And I've separated from my upbringing in the sense that I've, I've converted to Orthodox Judaism and essentially, uh, in many senses, adopted a second family, right? These are, these are acts of someone who has an extraordinary sense need for meaning. What type of person has extraordinary need for meaning? Person who lacks normal levels of human connection, which you should be getting from your family and your extended family and, and your friends. So when I'm not when I'm not getting connected, right? So we've got uh, black blank blank screen here. That's no good. Nope. I I don't see a blank screen. I see I see a beautiful, beautiful picture here with the, this is like Nietzsche's, oh, who, who, it's like Rodin's, is it Rodin's uh, statue of the thinker? Yeah, Rodin, Rodin's statue of the thinker. I mean, that's what we've got here. So I don't know what's going on with you guys. I don't know about you uncultured blokes, but me, I am transported here by... A modern Rodin statue of the thinker. That's what I was showing you. And, and for you, that was a blank screen. But for me, who's just so incredibly cultured and, and learned and you know, immersed in the, the art and, and the mindset of uh, the Western world, that was not a blank screen. That was profundity. That, this, is, this is Rodin's statue of the thinker for 2023. Now, when I'm not, when I'm not aligned, all right, when I'm not connected with other people and connected with myself, all right, then I start acting out in desperate searches for attention. I start acting out searching for pleasure. So I'll eat too much. I'll eat the wrong things. I'll start thinking about sex obsessively. I will have euphoric recall of, you know, past erotic adventures. I will, you know, start uh, hitting inappropriately on women. I will look for distraction and escape, such as uh, with, with Netflix or, or with sports, right? That's what happens when I get off kilter. I, I start building up this huge need for meaning. I'll get grandiose delusions about myself, about my own abilities, about the, the wit and wisdom and profundity of my YouTube show, right? These are all signs that I've gotten out of touch with myself and with other people, that I've lost alignment. 
but I, I don't think the war in Ukraine has ever brought me serious levels of stability and meaning. Do you know anyone for whom the war in Ukraine has brought serious levels of stability and meaning? What the hell is Richard talking about? You kind of need someone to hate or someone to fear or someone to be your ad. We need someone to hate or to fear. I think that just happens naturally, right? You don't, that doesn't need to be manufactured. But if, if you love something, don't just set it free, you, you will hate that which threatens it. So as long as you're connected to people and you love people, you're going to hate, you know, that which threatens them. And I think, you know, that, that should provide all, all the meaning that you need. The nation calls out for answers in troubled times. Ford answers the call. Adversary. Do we, because that, yes, do we really? Do. I hate that. That's got to be a thing we can I, change. We need an adversary. Doesn't that just come up naturally? So let's say you're black, you live in a black community, and you notice outsiders moving into your community when you normally naturally have some negative feelings about that. Let's say you're Jewish. And there are some anti-Jewish sentiments expressed around you and, you know, Jews getting shot and bashed when you naturally just hate those people who carry out that way. So if you just have normal levels of human connection, right, hatred for that which threatens what you hold sacred is just going to flow. Change of human nature. It has to be, right? Well, I, I, at, least, at least you're being reasonable about it. And you're, you're yes, we do. And I would, we need something that's bonding. Look, now that you have returned to the United States... Have you resumed drinking Crystal Light, monkeypox notwithstanding? Oh. Okay. So I'm impaled on the horns of a dilemma. I absolutely love my Crystal Light Classic Orange. Problem is, you know, more than a cup or so, and I get hives at night and I start itching. But it is so delicious, particularly when it's ice cold. Mm. It tastes as good as fresh squeezed orange juice. And it's got virtually no calories. As well, like, what is the origin of religion? Is it, is it you, you've come up with some rational, you know, device to prove that God exists? No, that's it's not a way the to explain stuff that's already going on in the world, essentially. I think, no, right? it's, it's a way of congealing masses of people without force. You can't, you, you can only point a gun at someone and force someone to fight uh, a battle for so long. What you really need to have is for them to want to fight the battle, for them to, to want you to be an authority, to want to want to die, in fact, in order to accomplish something bigger than yourself. I think that's the origin be... of religion, and that's why we need it. Yeah, and I just, we there can't... has to be a way to... That's, that's totally bizarre. Uh, I was distracted by my, by my crystal light, I'm, I'm afraid to say, so... Let me play this again. Society, uh, perhaps China's involved. We'll, you know, we'll figure that out. It's kind of here and there at the moment. But switch to tangerine juice. That's insane, right? Tangerine juice has like forty times as many calories. But my doctors would say absolutely not. It is bad for producing diabetes, right? I used to have pre-diabetes about fifteen years ago. As soon as I realized I did, the doctor said, you know, cut out fruit juice. So I cut out fruit juice, and tangerine juice is a fruit juice. And that pre-diabetes went away. Vitamin water, zero orange flavor. Okay, so I don't think it tastes as good as Crystal Light Classic Orange. It gives people some stability and meaning. You, you need, you, you kind of need someone to hate or someone to fear or someone to be your adversary. Do we, because that, do yes, we you really? Do. I hate that. No, you don't need someone. This doesn't need to be manufactured by some grand narrative. You just need to love some people and and then your your hatred for that which threatens what you hold precious will just flow naturally. I That's know, gotta be a thing we can I, change in human nature. It has to be, well, right? I, I, at, least, at least you're being... What an absurd idea that uh, we can change human nature. Well, I guess Destiny believes that. I mean, he's changing human nature with his bright blue hair color. But no, we, we don't get to just change human nature reasonable about it and you're you're yes we do and I we mean, need something I would... that's bonding as well like what is the origin of religion we need something that is bonding you know what's bonding uh, not fearing violent crime right imprison super predators for a long time so that you slash the murder rate to say one quarter of its present rate in the united states and that's what you could do if you just put away super predators for a long time and people will start feeling more confident about spending more time in the public space, more time volunteering, 
more time getting to know people, will be friendlier to strangers, and you'll have more opportunities for bonding. Also, get rid of the vast civil rights legislation that uh, incentivizes all sorts of litigation and allow people to have freedom of association, allow people to employ whom they want to employ, allow people to rent to whom they want to rent, allow people to sell to whom they want to sell, and bonding, again, will just happen naturally. If you just get out of the way of normal natural human nature, right, bonding will occur. Is it, is it you, you've come up with some rational you know, device to prove that God exists? No, that's it's not a way to explain stuff that's already going on in the world, essentially. I think, no, right? it's, it's a way of congealing masses of people without force. You, can't, you, you can only point a gun at someone and force someone to fight uh, a battle for so long. What you really need to have is for them to want to fight the battle, for them to, to want you to be an authority, to want, to want to die, in fact, in order to accomplish something bigger than yourself. I think that's the origin be... of religion, and that's why we need So it. I just made the mistake of looking at the chat, and I thought uh, that half Galician was accusing me of doxing him. But uh, no, he was accusing uh, Laponius of doxing him. Distracted me from Richard's thoughts on the origins of religion. Let me try this again. It's, it's murky and kind of weird. Now we're kind of returning to something that we're used to and something that we fought and won previously. A Cold War, a division between a Russian or kind of Soviet blank society. Uh, perhaps China's involved. We'll, you know, we'll figure that out. It's kind of here and there at the moment. But it gives people some stability and meaning. You, you need... <laughs> You, you kind of need someone to hate or someone to fear or someone to be your adversary. Do we, because yeah, do, do you need these artificial grand narratives to get some stability and meaning in your life? If this is what it takes to get stability and meaning in your life, you're seriously messed up and a menace to society and to yourself. Yes, Wait, you really? Do. I hate that. It's got to be a thing we can I, change in human nature. It has to be, right? Well, I, I, at, least, at least you're being reasonable about it. And you're, you're, yes, we do. And I we would, need something that's bonding. Richard thinks it's reasonable to change human nature. That's absurd. You don't get to change the in-group, out-group dynamic that's just inherent in human nature. As well, like, what is the origin of religion? Is it is it you you've come up with some rational you know device to prove that God exists? No, that's it's not a way to explain stuff that's already going on in the world. Essentially, I think. no. It... The, what is the origin of religion? Uh, we've always had hero systems. So religion is just one expression of a hero system. It's a way for people to transcend the insignificance of their own life by attaching themselves to a grander narrative. It's, it's a way of congealing masses of people without force. You, can't, you, you can only point a gun at someone and force someone to fight uh, a battle for so long. What you really need to have is for them to want to fight the battle, for them to, to want you to be an authority, to want... Well, people naturally sacrifice themselves for those with whom they're genetically related, right? those with whom they feel a tight bond to want to die in fact in order to accomplish something bigger than yourself I feel that's the origin be... of religion and that's why we need it yeah and i just there can't... has to be a way to do it without enemies i feel like it's funny because you bring this up but this i actually use this exact argument when i would fight against like race realists and stuff in the past that people would say things like we need to get rid of all black and brown people it needs to be only white people. it's like okay well if we run this argument to its maximum right i don't like first so there's nothing inherent in, in race realism about you know getting rid of other races race realism simply means that you understand evolution and that evolution affects people not just plants first of all if you had any group of white people get rid of everybody else don't you think at that point they're going to start looking at like well what percentage white are you right because like if you go to europe it's not just white and black people especially if you go to something like especially if you're in scandinavia right the europeans have fucking ethnic eyes like i've never seen before like oh that dude over there he's like 37.5 percent russian i can tell because of his hair like, fuck? I, I... yeah that's not exactly a strong argument right this this isn't uh, something that has obsessed uh, European nations, whether someone's 37.5% or 42% or 51% something. Right? This, is, this is just pure conjecture by destiny. It's just a white guy to me. It all looks the same shit to me. But like, you start to see the divisions more and more. And if you've got people that have made justifications for getting rid of people based on color of your skin, then why not like the Fuentes is next, right? Who are 25% Hispanic. Right. Or why not people... Luke, are you alarmed by the growing call for TND by some on the right? I don't even know what TND is, so no, I'm not alarmed. <laughs> Richard needs a blue hair job. Why is he talking to this soy boy with dyed hair? Because he'll get a lot of attention. Right, this, this video has received 129,000 views. With like brown eyes or brown hair, like where would that like would the division ever truly stop? Because Jesus, like oh TND total N word destruction. Well, that's just some antisocial impulse that uh, for people who take it seriously will tend to have negative effects on their life. It, 
that sort of impulse is rife in, in human nature. It's not just a white nationalist thing. You'll find Jews who just love chanting death to the Arabs, right? So wanting the total destruction of your enemies is the most normal, natural human response to reality. Now, people who take it too seriously, in people who devote you know too much passion to it, uh, where that's inappropriate, such as in the United States in 2023, that's not going to be an adaptive strategy for life. Uh, for people who use it at a, at a very low level of intensity to vent their frustration with an outgroup that they feel is you know, damaging their community or their nation, right? you're going to be much less likely to be harmful to yourself and to others. Like go to play like former like Yugoslavia. Like you've got like some so many similar types of people that are all trying to fucking kill each other like crazy. And it's like, well, what are you guys well, doing? I agree, and, but you yeah. don't dissent. People like people who are like themselves. And when someone similar to you, but a vital threat to that which you hold sacred, yeah, of course you're gonna hate them. So it's not a matter of thirty-seven versus forty-two percent white. But uh, people have not usually identified as white. People identify it naturally as members of a tribe, members of a nation, members of a community. So people are far more likely to identify as American, English, Australian, French, German, Serbian, Croatian, uh, Swedish, right? Far more, 1,000 times more likely to identify with, with their nation or their tribe than as white into that infinite regress because you're able to define an enemy and define an us yeah and, i know that's I, and i understand that it's the it feels yeah. very 1984-ish because in that book right people no you don't need to define in a friend enemy i mean reality will do that for you all right if you've got a group that threatens the existence of your group right you'll just naturally regard them as the enemy if you live in a community where an out group is running wild, murdering, raping, stealing from people, you will naturally regard them as the enemy. There has to be a constant enemy that you're waging war against because it gives you a forward direction. But do, can people can people grow out of that? No. They no, have to do, be able do to. We want to. Do we yes. want to? Because we do. No, you don't. Because it's like... Can people grow out of that? No. Right. If there's a group that is murdering your community, that is raping women in your community, that is committing vast amounts of crime against your community... You're never going to outgrow that because that would be evolutionarily maladaptive, right? Every living organism has a very strong reaction against anything that threatens its very existence, right? People don't like to be messed with. Uh, dogs don't like to be messed with, right? Fish don't like to be messed with. Resistance and struggle, you understand who you are. You know, I mean, I was not a great athlete at all, so I'm not bragging about the... You know how you understand who you are? By being part of a family, being part of a tribe, being part of an extended family, being part of a community, right? Having interactions with other people and forming bonds with other people, that will help you understand who you are. You don't need any grand narrative on top of that. If you need a grand narrative on top of that to help you figure out who you are, there's something really wrong with you. You're not a psychologically stable person. You're a menace to yourself and to other people. Right? People with these huge needs for you know, overarching narrative meaning in their lives, they lack normal human connection, uh, bonds to family, friends, and community. And those people are very dangerous. They're unstable. They behave like uh, Richard Spencer has behaved. Not so, not so glorious days of my, of my athletics. But like, I learned something about myself by playing on a football team and losing and sometimes winning and struggling against someone. And I wouldn't know who I was if I didn't do that. There, there, you Richard wouldn't know who he was if he didn't play football or if he didn't engage in in some you know ritualized form of, of warfare. I think Richard would know who he was if he was just had a normal marriage, right? With normal levels of connection to extended family and to to friends and to community. Right. Normal levels of human connection, you'll know who you are. Right. Most people know who they are. Right. I grew up as Seventh-day Adventists. Most Seventh-day Adventists knew who they were. Uh, most Orthodox Jews know who they are. Right. Most people I, I've met who come from an intact family know who they are.
need a resistance force and an opposition in order for some kind of synthesis to develop of a real identity. I, so I agree 1 million percent. Um, I'm having an interesting, so I've been streaming for 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, I owe to, to, to moderate level of, you know, in-group identification and resentment against our group. You know, a level of about two out of 10 in intensity, that helps you. Yeah, it gives you clarity. It gives you extra purpose and meaning, and it helps you to bond with your in-group. But if that's your primary source of stability and meaning in your life, then that's really sad for you. That's seriously messed up. You're on very dangerous territory. But if it's just a little bonus, right? I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I get a little extra you know, excitement in my life by being a sports fan. I support uh, the Australian cricket team. I support the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, right? So it gives me a little in-group versus out-group, right? But it's not the primary or even a major source of stability and meaning in my life. You know, for a long time. And I've identified, like, trends with my content. And, you know, I support the Jewish state of Israel, right? Israel has, has meaning to me, and it's still not, you know, the primary source of stability and meaning in my life. I mean, I don't even live there. But yeah, having identification with this or that team, you know, with this or that cause, with this in-group versus out-group, yeah, it's a, a nice bonus. It gives you a little extra purpose. It gives you a little extra clarity. It gives you more incentives to bond with your in-group. And it uh, gives you a little bit of a guide in life. We go through big uh, upswings where we get a lot of viewership, a lot of quick stuff, and we go through downswings where it's a little bit more boring. And a conversation that my community is having right now that I figured out is that like my content is at its best when I have opposition. Right. Like I can cover a story, I can do political research, and that's okay. But when Everyone's content is at its best when they have opposition. Remember how good Torah Talks was when uh, Casey and Dennis Dale and I were disagreeing? Or when we, we'd have guests and we'd be arguing. All right, every live stream is better with opposition. All right, now that uh, Kevin Michael Grace and myself and, and Dennis and, and Casey and, and I don't know whatever happened to Kyle, like now that everyone's gone their own way doing solo shows, not nearly as compelling. All right, yeah, every, every live streamer, every podcaster, you know, every intellectual, every want-to-be intellectual, every blogger, Everyone who pronounces on public issues is much better when facing opposition. Oh, there's a, a great uh, question. Luke, if you could save one city from being nuked, would it be Jerusalem or Tenem Sands? Yeah, whatever happened to Big Cat Kayla? Is she still around? I, it would depend on... Who was living there at the time? What if Richard and Luke went to high school together? What did Richard play in high school? I, apparently he played some football. There are people opposing me to fight against. It becomes a million times more interesting. Like, I think I carried like 13,000 viewers doing like a six-day research stream on like some the new Pearl Harbor. It was like a five-hour 9-11 documentary. And it's because people were really hyped up for me to debate Nick Fuentes and Sneeko after watching it. And I noticed that like having that oppositional figure drives so much of my political yeah, there's a saying that all the world loves the lover. It doesn't. What all the world loves is a fight. So this is nothing nothing special to Destiny's experience. Everybody produces more compelling content when they are in battle mode. Political content. But it's hard to hold those oppositional figures because the relationships are very volatile. Because eventually somebody's feelings get hurt, somebody's ego gets bruised, and like, fuck you, I'm never talking to you again. Sure. But yeah, it's very hard to maintain uh, partners <laughs> and and a community of people who come on your live stream because everyone's feelings get twisted and hurt. One thing that I'm able to do, and I've met some people that can do this, Dick yesterday was a good example, is I love somebody that like, we can fight, like, fuck you, I hate you, this is horrible, fuck your ideas, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you're like, okay, and then we're done. We're done arguing, it's cool. We That's total delusion. That's not how human beings work. Now, you can be better at that than the average person, but everything that you disagree about with, with someone is going to exact a toll on the friendship. Right. If you disagree about music, if you disagree about sports, religion, culture, politics, literature, the existence of God, evolution, everything that pulls you apart from someone else is going to weaken the relationship. And everything that bonds you and connects you and joins you with someone else is going to strengthen the relationship. So destiny is just fooling himself. He has no sophisticated understanding of, of social psychology. 
no understanding of balance theory if he thinks that he can have all these flat-out debates with people and it just doesn't affect the relationship. Yeah, the more separate you are from other people, the more difficult it will be to maintain friendly relations. Disagree. Like, we're okay at the end of the day. We don't actually fucking hate each other. That's us, Destiny. Well, maybe I haven't got there yet, but (laughs) I wish that, like, more people were able to do that. And I noticed that, like... it's such an amateur. He has such a childish, amateurish understanding of the world. Yeah, you can develop a thicker skin. You can recognize that this is a performance, right? I am performing right now. Destiny is performing right now. People who play football are performing. They can play football against each other. They can hurt each other. They can tackle each other, and then still maintain some, you know, friendly relationships off the field. But still, that fighting against each other is going to take a substantial toll on relationships, right? You throw down and debate someone, right? Generally speaking, your relationship is going to be weaker afterwards. It's a delusion to think that you can have these online fights, but you're still good, bro. No, it takes a toll. I mean, have you played Risk? Remember that game, Risk? When someone attacks you, it really really hurts. And it really damages your relationship with that other person. So let's say you're in Australia and they're coming down from South Asia to conquer conquer you in Australia, right? You're going to get hurt when they attack you. And it's going to create distance between you. Like the drawing of the battle lines for the us versus them. Like it's so crazy how my black history is horrible. So obviously I only know Martin Luther King and fucking Malcolm X because that's what every white person knows for the two, the, the only two black people in all of fucking US history. <laughs> but it's so interesting how we went from all of the MLK shit, like, oh yeah, like we all need to come together and be cool people, whatever. But like, actually, we need to bring back segregation and have black only businesses with black customers and fuck white people. And it's like, what the fuck? How the fuck did we circle all the way back here where like there are like these people that are talking about like the critical race theory and like the very heavy like college anti whiteness like lectures and shit that are now having like black only sessions where they're talking about like anti blackness and shit. And it starts to feel like really sick. Yeah, because every. You know, every people wants to have time and space to just be with their own without having to deal with outsiders. It's so much more relaxing to just be with your own kind where people, you know, share common rituals, common values, and you don't have to explain yourself. When I was reading through the Southern Poverty Law Center thing about Richard last night, which I can kind of assume probably hasn't been updated since like approximately 2016 because they left out some newer stuff, but I'm reading it and it's like almost every quote that I'm seeing from you talking about your white identity or whatever is something that sounds eerily familiar to something I've heard black people say Mm -hmm. in relatively mainstream circles in the last couple of years. So I don't know if maybe those statements seemed a little bit different in 2016, but viewed from today's light, it really, a a large percentage of them didn't really seem all that shocking to me. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, look, there, there is a double standard in the sense of you can listen with sympathy to a black person talking about identity and maybe even having some hatred of things like that. You can listen to that sympathetically, but a white person does it and there's just no sympathy. You could talk about guns, you can talk about Christianity, you can talk about all these other things, but an actual white identity is something that we're just not allowed to talk about. I mean, it mm-hmm. is what it is. I mean, maybe it's, it's a good thing in a way in the sense that whites do want to, tra- I mean, the best aspect of being white in a way is to try to transcend your mirror. And the chat says, whose country is it, right? It is the country of those who are willing to seize control of it, right? I don't believe that... Uh... Certain people, certain tribes, certain nations are just uh, uh, fated by the universe or by God to possess, you know, this part of land or that part of land, right? I I don't believe that, like, the Jewish people just has this transcendent right to the the, the land of Israel and, you know, they they just have a right to exist and the Palestinians have a right to exist and everyone just has a right to exist. The only rights that any people can establish those that are defended, right? Those that uh, you arm for, that you prepare for, and that you beat down your enemies over, right? If you take land and hold land and defend land and become a formidable power, then you have established your own right to exist. You have established your own control of your own uh, people's destiny. If you're not willing to do that or you're not capable of, of doing that, then you're very likely to get flushed down the toilet of history. The strong take what they want, the weak endure what they must. Material position and to do something that's bigger, to do something that would almost bring people in. I think that's a very strong power in European history. So, I mean, on some level, this double standard is kind of a good thing. I mean, and I will say too, also like on that back, um, because I can't let you say all that and not say anything because my family's going to hate me. <laughs> but, uh, but truly, like the, the issue that I have is that like, there is a difference between 
like white pride and black pride. Like, if we're honest, the histories between these two things are different, and generally the sentiments behind them are different. Right? What is like, the difference? Um, I think the difference is that generally white people are pretty okay in the United States on the qualification of being white. Um, now there are poor white people, but their lives aren't fucked because they're white; they're fucked because they're poor. Or there might be white people that are addicted to drugs, but their lives aren't fucked because they're white; they're fucked because they're hooked to opiates. Um, whereas for black people, African Americans specifically, descendants of slaves, a lot of their lives today are still a little bit fucked, not because their parents were poor, or their grandparents were poor, but because their, their lives bear many of the same characteristics of the the people that they evolved from over tens of thousands of years, right? Swedes in America tend to be very Swedish. Germans in America tend to be very German. Africans in America tend to have many of the same life history statistical results as Africans. So there are things that say Japanese identity and Chinese identity and white identity and black identity have in common. And then there are things that uh, uh, separate people who really into these identities. There were racial policies in the United States from 64 and earlier that actually like racially has nothing to do with racial policies in the United States. There are life history results. Japanese Americans have very similar to life history results to the Japanese. Swedish Americans have very similar life history results, statistically speaking, to Swedes. African-Americans have very similar life history results to Africans. There's nothing to do with American racial policies. Different peoples have different gifts, different trajectories, create different civilizations, different communities, and statistically speaking, have different life history results impacted people so I, I can i'm very empathetic so you uh, only empathetic. get to have pride if you struggle i mean like i'm, I'm not saying you can see, only, that, here's, here's, that is what you're saying well, no, no no hold on no, i'm not saying that what i'm saying is that like i can understand people treating the things a bit differently sure. but the problem is that people take it a little bit yeah people treat it differently because one form of identity is incentivized and praised and blessed like black identity and another form of identity such as white identity is stigmatized and denounced and oppressed so yeah, people are going to respond to incentives. Shocking. Too far. And instead of saying like, well, hold on, I think that there needs to be a special unique place for black people to talk about their place in the U.S. and the history in the U.S. That evolved into fuck white people. They can't talk about anything related to whiteness. And now we're only going to talk about black issues. And if you even dare challenge that, you're racist. Like that evolution is very toxic. So Destiny's very smart, but what he has to say is just really stupid. And I think that that change is what is like, destroyed so many of the conversations. Um, thinking back like, to the phrase, like, it's okay to be white. Like, the response to that should have just, or like, white lives matter. The response to that should have just been like, yeah, they do. But like, that's not what we're talking about right now. And like, that's it. Instead of like, no, you can't say that at the table. It's like, why fight against that? Like, it's so stupid. Right. Uh, I, I don't, I didn't quite follow you there at the end. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I, there is also a kind of double standard of when, you know, someone has Irish pride or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's so cool and beautiful and poetic and things like that. Someone says they have German pride and they, uh, people have a little bit of a different opinion or Russian. Like where people go out and start murdering people in the name of white pride and white identity, then yeah, normally, naturally, you know, the identity that uh, leads people to go out and start murdering people at a, at a Walmart or at a supermarket in Buffalo or at a couple of mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, yeah, then that identity is normally naturally going to be stigmatized if people are going out and doing horrible things in its name. And that then dominates the news. Pride, because it's bigger and stronger and more powerful and can actually affect the world. I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know, Irish Catholic nationalism or something like that. But you can't. So e even if, let's say, you're making accurate, valid, rhetorically strong arguments from your side, but people making the same arguments and using that same rhetoric, you know, go out and start slaughtering people, your arguments are still going to be true or not so true or false based on facts and logic. But I live in reality. You can't use that rhetoric and those arguments and seize on that identity without understanding the context, right? The context is other people using that rhetoric and identity are going out there and murdering people, right? Normies are then going to look at you askance if you echo the rhetoric and the rituals and the, the language and the attitude and the identity of people committing highly publicized mass murders. Right? I don't think it's a good idea to echo the rituals, the rhetoric, the clothing, the attitude, the identity of people who are committing mass murders. I think that's a, a bad idea. Strategically, it's not good for your own welfare. It's, it's not good for society even if the arguments are still rhetorically strong. Maybe retire them for a while. 
you can't just say, okay, it's good if it's weak and it's bad if it's strong. I mean, you, it's, it's a natural human tendency to want to be a part of a bigger tribe, something bigger than yourself, civilization even. And so it, it can't just be justified if people are not politically powerful. Yeah, I think, I mean, it just, it's going to depend on the type of movement you're in and like where you're coming from. Like, because realistically, like when somebody says white pride, I don't really know, like, like white people as a group. Has well, we know something about the type of people who say white pride, right? They dominantly seem to be neo-Nazis, uh, homosexuals who enjoy playing dress up. Uh, people with, with felony convictions, antisocial people, many of whom haven't graduated high school, right? So why would anyone want to identify it with a movement that is overwhelmingly uneducated, uh, backward, antisocial, and repellent? So even if you're morally right, uh, normal people are going to want to associate with such a down market crowd, Historically, like, I don't, like it's hard to know what that means. Like, if you want to talk about like German people, Russian people, Irish people, like there are achievements and things that you can give to specific nationalities, specific ethnicities, things in the past. But it feels like when people talk about like white as an overarching group, at least in my mind, the only thing I think of is slavery. <laughs> because like, what do white people do versus like? Where you, black think, where you think it's almost too generic and kind of yeah, that's the issue. Like, and then when somebody appeals, what does it mean? You, you go to Target as opposed to the dollar store, you're white or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that. Whereas I think there, I, and there's a slight difference too, because when you talk about like African American culture, there was a unifying culture between descendants of slaves, because a lot of them can't even point back to the countries they're from, and so their culture basically starts at my great 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 granddaddy was. A slave and that's all i have and here's the culture that i was thrust into that was thrust upon me and then this is what we oh so so blacks have this unified culture but europeans don't there are ways that uh europeans have a shared culture such as christianity right uh, there, there are certain things that unite europeans there are certain things that uh, unite africans and there are things that divide Europeans, and there are things that divide Africans. It's not like, oh, Africans and African-Americans, they have this unified culture, but people of European descent, they just, you know, they've just got nothing in common. That's absurd, and it's such, you know, shallow thinking here from Destiny created out of that and so I, I'm, I'm more sympathetic to i understand why some people are like i have african-american pride but it feels a little bit different it's like i have white pride it's like okay we well, can go to ellis island you can see like exactly where your family came from like your pride is gonna be a little bit more ethnically precise than that when you say white pride it feels a little bit strange you know i i get what you're saying and i'm 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 being sympathetic towards it i, I have many of the same criticisms one of the criticisms that i do agree with that you hear from the left is um you know they'll, they'll show some image of some you know and the question where does destiny live i'm sure he lives in los angeles and he would live in you know a good neighborhood. I mean, this man has made a lot of money. So I don't think he's living in South Central. Fatso screaming white pride or yelling at someone and they'll be like, this is the white supremacist, you know? And then there's also that other kind of question of like, what are you actually standing for? What do you want? Yeah. Uh, I think that was a major question, that why question about the alt-right and why it failed and it's kind of part of the past now mm -hmm. um is because it couldn't answer there was no like actual spiritual core to what whiteness is which i think so many movements true. have that issue remember occupy yeah. wall street yes. what the fuck did they want that was a huge firm and it came and it went and like what the fuck did you guys want? or blm and the riots and the like what did you guys want to abolish policing they tried those places didn't work like, what did you guys want um the alt-right charlotte's building like, what do you guys want and it's like exactly. more christianity catholicism not that what well, more like what like yeah there's an issue I, with a lot of misdirected anger today where it's like channel it on something and figure out a policy or something to rally by fucking give me leg well, uh, legalize like marijuana or something but find something that you want to champion well, otherwise because america isn't offering that anymore so when, when you think about, okay, I mean, I'll, I'll do two things real quick to so just, you know, be a little patient. So there, there is a white identity to the United States that is, I would say, overwhelmingly Protestant and overwhelmingly Anglo, but, and there were a lot of nativist Baptists. Yeah, it's a lot uh, stronger Protestant identity or European identity or even stronger Anglo identity more than, than white. Very few Americans have strongly identified as, as white. They've identified as Anglo, they've identified as American, they've identified as Christian or as Protestant, right? hundred times as many white Americans have identified as Protestant compared to white, white. Battles against, you know, bringing in Italians and Central Europeans and, and so on in the 19th century. Between about from the Immigration Act of 1924 and let's say up to the 60s, I think there, and, and this was also uh, coming after the progressive reforms that did a lot of great things in my opinion. But anyway, uh, I think there was a pretty coherent uh, white American public. Um, it wasn't a public that identified as white, they identified as American. Just like the English traditionally identified as English and to a lesser degree as Protestant and as, as Christian. So th there was never a time when uh, the vast majority of Americans primarily identified as white. Right? There's never been a time when even 10% of Americans primarily identified as white. Right? They identified as American. It was perhaps fleeting. It was kind of more Christian than Protestant, more European than Anglo-Saxon. Uh, but it was a real thing. Um, but I, I also think that, like, 
grasping onto that, holding onto it, is kind of clinging to the past. I think we've moved beyond that period of time. It was a great time in many ways. It was a bad time if you were African American, or not so bad, but bad in many ways. Or if Chinese, you're or depending on where you were. I get it. I get it. But um, oh, so why did they? If it was such a horrible time for African Americans and for the Chinese and Japanese Americans or Italian Americans, or you know, people from from Southern Europe, if it's so awful, why did they move here? Why did they choose to stay here? No one was keeping them at gunpoint in the United States. So not everything's been, you know, peachy for African Americans or Chinese Americans. Nothing's been peachy for anyone, right? Life life is hard. Comparatively speaking, you know, African Americans have had it far better in the United States than they had it in Africa. African Americans have traditionally lived longer than many Eastern and Southern Europeans. But it, it was something, and I think that was probably the essence of the Make America Great Again notion. It was about, again, going back to the past, rehearsing something. Uh, but I think the main thing is that America is not able to offer any overarching, coherent vision that's attractive, that's irrational even, that's exciting, Dionysian, and thus... So the average American has an IQ of 97. You really think that he's crying out for a Dionysian vision, for some grand narrative, something to fill in the gaps from the, the, the death of God? Right? The average person gets all the meaning that he could possibly want from his friends, family, extended family, community, education, profession, hobbies. All right, This idea that your average American with his 97 IQ is just crying out for some Dionysian solution is absurd. We're kind of retreating into this like fragmented societies of BLM angst, alt-right angst, Fuentes Yeh. Well, I come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, and for as long as... You know, I'm 56 years of age, and for all that time, Seventh-day Adventists have had uh, black churches, white churches, Filipino churches, Chinese churches, Korean churches, Japanese Seventh-day Adventist churches. People normally, naturally segregate into tribes and communities. And for many people, race matters. For many people, race is, is real. For, for many people, race is foundational to their identity. And so it would be normal, natural, and even healthy for people to choose to keep to people who are like them, who value similar things. And there will frequently be a racial component to that. A angst, patri you know, screw the patriarchy angst. They're probably literally screwing the patriarchy. That's Because we're not offering anything. When John Winthrop, you know, before he even set foot on the soil. So you really think that your average American with the 97 IQ is just feeling bereft because America is not offering a, a grand narrative. I just think that's the most absurd argument. He had an idea of what America was. It was this new Jerusalem. Oh, and so for how many people was John Winthrop's vision their primary source of identity? Like I'd say fewer than a hundred, but even people living around John Winthrop and his dulcet tones and his awesome rhetorical abilities, right? They weren't leading their lives based upon John Winthrop's sermons. It's like when I'd, I'd go to synagogue, I'd go to synagogue and the rabbi would get up and say, there's an awesome responsibility that you have chosen me to be your spiritual leader. And I'm thinking, what the hell? I didn't choose you to be my spiritual leader. This is where my friends dubbin, right? This is where my friends go. This is you know, I, I I like it here. There's absolutely nothing to do with choosing you to be my spiritual leader. And I, I very rarely, if ever, right, have I attended a synagogue because I regarded the synagogue rabbi as my spiritual leader. Right? Very few Jews choose a synagogue on the basis of the rabbi is their spiritual leader. And I would wager very few Christians choose a church on the basis that the clergyman is their spiritual leader. This is absurd talk. People go where their friends are. Right? If you have three, four, five or more friends, you're going to keep going to that church or synagogue or bowling club. If the number of friends you have there, say, drops below three or four, you're very likely to drop out. And it has nothing to do with the clergyman or the president of the bowling club being your spiritual leader.
concept. It was a highly fundamentalist puritanical notion, one that I don't resonate with, to mm -hmm. be honest. But it was something. He defined it even before he was here. Um, we've had various ways. In the, in, in the Cold War, I mean, I have this article I'm going to uh, publish, but it's about how you two kind of predicted the Cold War or ended the Cold War in some crazy way. Though we're torn in two, we can be one. They sang that in 1983 before 1989, 91, and everything changed. And so they were imagining some vision that you wanted to come be a part of. And I think for Bono and you too, it's actually deeply Christian. This is an, and mm -hmm. there, there Yeah, once again, you think your average American with his 97 IQ is yearning for a vision to be a part of? Right? Most people right, have a family and that's where they get their source of meaning from their family, extended family, their community. That's the normal, natural, healthy place to get your meaning. And then to to buy into some, you know, heroic narrative above and beyond that, you know, that's, that's wonderful. It just normally naturally happens, but most people aren't walking around feeling a great dearth of grand narratives. Has to be something there, or we are going to fragment into things like BLM and the alt-right. So here, this is something also that I, that I kind of think in terms of, so earlier I alluded to this idea that I feel like the idea of a unified America was a bit illusory. Um, I feel like we felt that way, or, or we feel like in the past it was that way. <clears throat> so, Adam. Um, America has always been far more fragmented than Canada, Australia, New Zealand, England, France, Germany, or Poland. Sweden, Finland. That's just the nature of America. The chat says most people want lunch. When you talk about like <laughs> hip hop and you talk about like rappers, I feel like um, one thing that's really important for a lot of these guys and a lot of kind of middle class America, and I feel like they have losses, is where you're from. Oh, yeah. It's, Huge. Yeah. But I think that I, I feel like in the United <laughs> States, I feel like we used to be a lot more local. But again, because of the internet, I think something happened to where now the only thing, everybody knows Marjorie Taylor Greene. Everybody knows, like if you ask like a, a fucking conservative in Wyoming or Montana or whatever, like yes. who, which politician do you hate the most? Okay, capitalism, all right, the, the neoliberal order is making the world that we live in ever more economically efficient and incentivizing people to up and move. So Americans in particular, but also Australians have always been incredibly mobile, moving to you know, where the, the better jobs are, where there are more economic opportunities. So to staunch the sense of dislocation and to signal to their neighbors that they're a good person in, in America, people have joined churches where you get an ersatz version of a community that you, that you used to have in Europe. Tens of millions of people have been born, lived, and died within, you know, 10 miles, right? That's genuine community, right? You know people for a long time. But America is much more mobile to try to assuage the dislocation from that, that mobility. People have joined churches also in America to signal that you're a good person. And you get, like, intimations of community when you just go join a church or go join a synagogue, but it's nothing like community as Europeans have it. Those Europeans who were born, lived, you know, had, had children all, all within about the same 10 miles, right? That is a sense of community that very few Americans or Australians will ever get to experience. They're going to talk to you about like people from the House of Representatives in New York. Yes. They're going to talk to you about people that have no impact on their lives whatsoever. Right. And I think that some, there's an illusion I think that's created in the past America where everybody's involved in their own communities and their own churches and their own unions and their own local politics scene. And you feel like you're kind of a unified America, even though this community, this community might feel totally fucking different about things, but in their own communities, they've achieved some sort of equilibrium where they feel comfortable and confident. But now, fuck local politics. Everybody's on this national level. And no way can you get 340 million people to all feel the same about fucking anything but in a weird way we all do feel the same it's, it's kind of both because you know like most people are not obsessed with politics right people like destiny and richard and me and likely you are obsessed with politics because we find it compelling entertaining interesting it's a hobby all right but most people don't lead lives as obsessed with with politics as you know richard and and destiny and or you or, or me Right. Most people are not thinking about politics. Politics is not the primary concern. For most people, their primary concern is their family, their extended family, their friends and their community, their jobs and their education, making money and pursuing their hobbies.
like a rancher in Wyoming, um, because he's on social media to some degree, is going to be like, those BLM riots, they're burning down cities, like Antifa's coming from. And it's like, listen, let me, as someone who is assaulted by Antifa, I can tell you, like, they are not coming to rural Montana. Like, just sure. to let you know. But I mean, but on that same thing, though, immediate, we're brought together in this kind of incredible way. Yeah, but in like such a, but in a horrible way. Uh, well, because the sure. reality is, is that like, if you were to poll a ton of, like, this is something, oh my God, my. Okay, being clued into the national scene for politics, it's not horrible. It's only horrible if there's something, you know, empty in you. If you don't have normal levels of human connection, then you're trying to fill that vast void inside with your grand quest for meaning, right? Having this abnormal need for meaning means there's something really seriously, dangerously wrong with you because you lack normal levels of human connection. You are completely disconnected from the way you're evolved to live. And so this grand thirst for meaning right, can manifest with an obsession with politics. That's the symptom of the inner emptiness, right? It's not inherently a dangerous or bad thing that uh, some people such as you or me take a an interest in politics that is, you know, far above and beyond what is necessary for their, for their well-being, right? You don't need to have any interest in politics to lead a good life. It's not, you know, necessary for your well-being you are not more effective at life because you follow the news or because you follow politics, right? The, the primary reason to do so is because you enjoy it and you find it interesting. And it's not some horrific thing that for people like you and me, we have a hobby that revolves around politics. Mind, I changed so many opinions on politics when I realized this, is if you're trying to figure out what Americans feel like, first of all, get rid of the idea of America. Wait, did he just say, I changed so many minds about politics? I mean, this guy's delusional. We don't change minds. All we can do is open a door that uh, some people may walk through, but only those people are already predisposed to, to go in that direction. Number one. And number two, stop looking at national polling data because we don't vote national in anything. We vote for our representatives, we vote for our senators, and then we vote within our states for things. And when you start looking more granularly at American opinion, you start to realize more why things are the way they are. You might think, like, well, 52% of Americans support the legalization of marijuana or prostitution or gun control or whatever. But when you look state by state, you're like, okay, hold on, this breaks down way differently depending on where you're looking at things. But that's changed. But we're, try we're trying to force. Okay, we're 43 minutes into this uh, video. Destiny said, oh, it's nothing of value. Is happening. It, it, yeah, it might be, but the problem is we're trying to force our national views on everything where we still have a system, whether we like it or even acknowledge it, that still very much works on the local level. Because national media is usually more sophisticated, usually more compelling, all right, uh, is usually done with, with more excellence than local news media. And so, yeah, people would rather tune in to the nation's best writers, best pundits, the most, you know, clued in observers of the political scene than the, the second rate people at their small local publication. I think BLM and policing is a really good example. We tried to come together as a country and make strong statements on policing, but policing is decided by your mayor. These right. are your most local elections. Obama's not going to fucking save you from a bad cop. Right. Trump's not going to do shit about an unfair prosecution. Um, but we all are. Yeah, policing is largely local, but the federal government can force local police into consent degrees. Uh, the president does have a bully pulpit, and it's not the mayor who necessarily decides how, how the police operate. There's usually a chief of police that the mayor often can, can pick. They're looking and obsessing at that national level, and then nobody looks at their local communities. And now we're like, well, I feel like we don't get along like everywhere. It's like, I don't know if anybody from New York City in the year 1892 would have gotten along with somebody from, you know, some rural place, some rancher in Texas. But it felt like they because they never talked to each other. They never had the opportunity to be exposed to Let each other. Let me try to bring some of these things together, because you're, you're bringing up some very important topics. So... Okay, we got a super chat. Very exciting here. Thank you so much from Media Hits, the watermelon yarmulke. And any Jews or Jewish people here tonight? Oh my God. A disproportionate amount of Jews here. Not representative of the population. Whatever. I'm a Jewish guy. I saw another Jewish guy on the street wearing a... Okay, if this gets me, it, oh, bro, Comedy Central Records, uh, media hits, you are just cruising to get me copyright strikes. Come on, bro. Why do you have to be like that? I, I've got so many people in, in my chat who are just fired up to get me to play copyrighted material that's only going to cause me surus. I thought you were here to bring joy. If you're not coming along, you know, bringing joy to my life, 
then what the hell? I, I maybe I need to follow the advice of that that Japanese lady says you should only keep you know people and objects in your life if they bring you joy. Well, people who are, are tricking and seducing me, taking advantage of my kindly nature, of my you know naivete about my innocence about how the world works, and and getting me to play you know copyrighted materials that's going to result in you know my my videos being deleted, uh, endangering my channel. No, no. Why would you have that, you know, callous level of disregard? I mean, I appreciate the, the super chat, but you know, a five dollar super chat is not sufficient incentive to me to blow up my channel. Come on, what the hell, guys? America has never been a coherent nation, and it's never been a nation state mm -hmm. at all. It has always been an empire in some degree or another. Sure. Uh, so there's, there's actually... Well, at the time of the American Revolution, America was 85% Anglo. I, I would say that's a pretty coherent uh, community, uh, nation, uh, and state. So America wasn't exactly an empire in 1796 or, you know, 1808 a thinker who's out of favor now, who I, I think is a genius, uh, Jackson Turner, Frederick Jackson Turner, with this notion of the, the frontier. Mm -hmm. So in European language... Yeah, Elliot Blatt nails it. 13% of super chatters are responsible for 55% of the copyright strikes. If you're, let's say, a Prussian, and you have the word frontier, that means border. That means you've got to face off against the you know, Russian Empire, France, you know, some naval invasion, all that kind of stuff. In America, frontier means the opposite. It means endless open space, which we have. You can just go out there and make a new world, and if you can survive, you're it. Mm -hmm. And we actually went downward in terms of civilization. So in Boston, you're riding trolley cars and reading the Gospels, and you start to go out into the wilderness, and you're, riding, you're you know, rowing a canoe and reading the Old Testament. So we've almost like gone backwards as you go out into the, to the frontier. So I There's nothing superior about riding on a trolley car reading the New Testament as opposed to paddling in a canoe and, and reading the Old Testament, right? Neither one is inherently superior to the other. And, and you can see this, despite, you know, progressives who kind of FDR as well, kind of nationalized many things, made us more of a European coherent nation. We still, that's not who we are. We do have a kind of outmoded political system on, on some level. Mm -hmm. It's at the very least not a political system conducive to a nation state. Sure. We'll never be Finland. A coherent, singular. Yeah. Right. Uh, I remember after 9-11, Americans really came together. Right, Americans have been willing to sacrifice. There is a, a strong sense of American identity. It doesn't have the level of social cohesion and social trust of other nation states, but uh, nationalism remains a major force in the United States. But that's and kind so, of what I wonder when so we talk about like, that. But yeah. and this, uh, this, the irony of it is that we are being nationalized. I agree. The, like a guy in Maine or a guy in Wyoming who are both kind of right-wing types, they both hate AOC and think mm -hmm. she's going to go take their guns or you know, wh whatever. So it, it's like it, we're, it, we're going through all of these forces. And I think there's, there's also the contradiction between the ability to deal with domestic issues and then America's identity as a global empire. Like we set, we, since 1944 at the very least and probably before that, we've set the terms for the world. The world cannot function without us and the dollar. And I'm not just saying this as some wild Or we function in a very jingoist. different way, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and it would be horrible if this thing went down. All of these Ron Paul types or tankies or liberals saying, you know, like in the American empire or whatever, they don't know what that will actually entail and, and a lot of horrors that that would entail. So this is, America's always been this frontier in the sense of, of expansion and globalism it is what we are and so there's that contradiction between like domestic affairs and our uh, america hasn't always been about globalism there's a strong isolationist sentiment in, in the united states but america has been blessed with a geography and a demography which together have combined to create the most powerful nation in the world for the past 120 years and absolutely no end in sight so you put together powerful demography, powerful geography, you get a powerful nation like the United States of America. It's a powerful nation whether or not it uh, chooses to be a global empire. Right? The United States has never been a global empire in the same sense that uh, Great Britain was for a couple of centuries. Our obligations as imperialists. You hear this with Hawley of, you know, we need a party about East Palestine and not a party about the globalist in Ukraine or something. Well, actually, as an American, you both. You, well, you kind of, obviously you need both, yeah, to some degree. But as an American, you actually do need to think about Ukrainians and not, not just out of sympathy, which I definitely have, but out of the fact that you have an imperial obligation to think about them. Mm -hmm. And I That's absurd. There's no imperial obligation to think about Ukrainians. What, what uh, goes on in Ukraine has very little importance for the well-being of the United States. Ukraine does not occupy a strategically significant role 
in America's national interests, right? Ukraine is irrelevant to America's national interests. Ukraine could disappear from the map tomorrow and America would be unchanged. Africa, the entire continent of Africa, could disappear from the map tomorrow and America would be unchanged. In fact, Europe, Australia, South America, uh, Asia, right, could all disappear from the map, just disappear, and life in America would, uh, would be about 80% of what it is now. Right? The United States economy relies less upon trade than any other major economy in the world. So America is a colossus, and it does not depend upon empire. And it has no vital national security interest going on with Ukraine. I don't, I think there's, with this, it's like one of the kind of contradictions of populism is, you know, in some ways Trump was an expression of the decline of America, not necessarily through his actions, but through his rhetoric of like, come home, take care of ourselves, let's spend money on ourselves. You know, Americans are dreamers, no, no, no more immigration. So coming home, taking care of yourself. All right. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not a sign of decline. So let's say, you decide to put you know less investment less money less time into outside interests instead you decide to spend more time at home in your community with your neighbors to say take more time for yourself right that's not necessarily a bad thing some people would do much better to take more time at home reduce the number of involvements they have in, in the wider world right it's not inherently bad or good for the united states to withdraw from the wider world. Right. And what happens in Ukraine has nothing to do with our national interests. Build a wall. Mm -hmm. All of these things are kind of like on the some level like of an insect, the dying of like yeah. a, yeah. And, and, and even Trump, when he was a better version of Trump in the 80s, when he was on Larry King or whatever, he was still kind of like that, this, this nationalism of, of kind of bringing things in. It might have something to do with the fact that he came from Manhattan. It's this kind of like pitched battle. Yeah, I mean, like, look at he was America first. Doesn't strike me as a bad thing. Right, you should put your own interests first. You should put your your family's interests first. You should put your community's interests, you know, way before you become obsessed with uh, Ukraine. Okay, I need to exercise. Talk to you later. Bye bye.